Episode 14 of The Dregs. We are back again. And we have another guest, guys. We are uh, we're doing the book tour circuits now for everybody. We're just getting guest requests coming in left and right. We're growing. We're growing as a podcast, big time. What a novel idea. What, guests? I was trying to make a book pun. Didn't land. Oh, uh, Six start boys and girls. <laughs> oh, we should just get into that. So uh, the, the guy there with the terrible joke, that's Chris from Fan Pours. And the other voice you heard is Luke. That was Luke. And uh, no, hello. No, the bad joke was Chris. Come on. Oh, you got to own that, buddy. Uh, and then myself, Fine. Aaron from the Cascadian Beer Podcast. And our guest today is Fiona Hefer. Hello. Hello. So we've known each other a while. And I was actually thinking about this the other day. And we'll kind of get into the reasons why for this more. But you and I have never actually had a drink together because when I first met you, you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then now you run a company which doesn't have alcohol. Mm hmm. And so, yeah, we've just never had a drink together the entire time that we've, we've known each other. That's if you define a drink as only an alcoholic one. Well, we will get into Ooh. that. Yeah. Although there was that one time we went to that cocktail lounge with one of your coworkers and we had drinks and you just looked envious at us. Because <laughs> they didn't have any good non-alcoholic cocktails <laughs> well, back yeah. then. Yeah, back the then. The times are changing. Yes. That's why I exist. So your company's called Sansorium. Uh, when did you start? So we launched last September. The idea of it kind of came up January of 2021, though, by my mom. Right. <laughs> but what was the reason behind uh, your mom wanting to start this company? So two years ago, right before the pandemic started, my mom decided to stop drinking alcohol. She decided to live an alcohol-free life, which came from a bunch of personal discovery around what makes her body feel good and what makes her brain feel good. But really, it was William Porter's book that kind of dove into the effects on on the brain and, and sleep in particular. And she did not have, she just didn't realize before that there was any correlation between how much alcohol she was drinking and the neuro effects and, and the sleep effects that she was experiencing that she didn't realize there was a correlation. So once she learned that, she said she could never go back to drinking alcohol. She literally stopped overnight and she, she comes from a long lineage of drinking alcohol. She's Scottish. No, <laughs> I feel, I feel like an end there. That's... <laughs> Her family when you have an entire like whiskey named after your country, it's just like, yeah, that's that's deep rooted, right? It's so. deep rooted, yeah. And and she grew up in a in a culture where drinking alcohol was and a lot of it too, like, you know, as much as you wanted, there was no limits. Mm-hmm. It was normal, super normal to have a glass, two, three, four after work every day of wine. You know, you could finish a bottle by yourself, no problem. It didn't really have a big effect on her from what she could notice. It was really later that she discovered all of these physical effects that she thought maybe were due to with other things and that it was actually the alcohol. So once she cut it, she she realized that her metabolism was actually way better and she could control her weight a lot easier. She was sleeping amazing. She was feeling clear-headed. And then there's been this kind of cascade of really beautiful relational effects in our family and in our lives that have just strengthened her desire to stay alcohol-free. Right. And, and, and when you say they like relationships and that, would you have considered your mom a wine mom? Yeah, we've talked a lot about that. And uh, I grew up in wine mom culture that kind of started being more publicized through social media. I was kind of like the mom who was really proud of her wine intake to get away from the needs of the family or the needs of the day-to-day responsibility of work and raising kids. And it was very, it was like memified wine mom culture. We're coming out of that now, I I would say as a, as a global community, but certainly in the West of what it means to still imbibe on, on wine and have a family and raise a family and and have children in the background. But my mom was like, we've had a big conversation about that recently of what it means, what it meant to me to have a a wine mom. Sorry, can can we clear? I don't think I've ever heard that term wine mom. Yeah. It's such a big conversation. And I want to do it justice, but generally it's the celebration of moms drinking wine to reward themselves for their end of the day, like getting, getting the kids to bed, you know, having a tough day with lots of tantrums or diffusing an argument in the back of the car or something on a, on a road trip. It's like drinking wine to celebrate being a mom. Mm -hmm. But the, the reason why it's being challenge now or seen as problematic is it's looking like 
a form of escaping your responsibilities as a mother and potentially over drinking because of it. So you'll see these like big, huge glasses that would encourage you to pour like bottles of wine into them. And they kind of, I say like it's memeified because they like make jokes about how much they're drinking. And right. there's like whole brands of wine created for wine mom culture. Yeah. I think now that you explain it, I've definitely witnessed this in, you know, social media and yeah, on social in our culture. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. We're like the, you know, there's, there's like tons of like t-shirts and like lots of merchandise around being well, a wine. Definitely mom. a hashtag. Yeah. There's a hashtag. There's full accounts with like hundreds of thousands of followers. I guess those, the socks with the, um, if you can see this or something, pour, bring me a glass of wine or something. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah, that sort of merchandise, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Speaking from a guy who owns a pair there. <laughs> you know, it, I, I, I borrowed well. a pair of socks from Luke on the weekend. We, we won't dive into why. <laughs> but um, he didn't He didn't hand over the pour me glass of wine socks. I'm a little disappointed. I, I want to say, though, I don't think all wine drinking, if you're a mother, is problematic. I would say there's just been a normalization of maybe overconsumption of wine and uh, in the presence of children. So my experience personally is witnessing my mom drink at the end of the day. And it kind of felt like she wanted to kind of strip away from the day and maybe even me a little bit. That's, I'm not saying that's true, but, you know, I see lots of videos on Instagram of moms like holding up the glass of wine while the young kids are just watching TV in the background. And they're like, if you know, you know, like, I needed this. I need this. It's like 4 p.m. Like, can't get through the rest of the day without this. So actually joking about is alcoholism and we're not calling it what it is. So that's where I say there's a bit of a fine line, but I don't label all wine drinking if you're a mother to be problematic. No, it's moderation with everything, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, So it's kind of coming from a place of kind of coping versus drinking to cope versus drinking for celebration. Absolutely. Yeah. It's blurred the lines between those two places, actually. And it's not inviting right. an awareness of the relationship you have with alcohol and how it affects the rest of your family potentially, and the relationships beyond that, it's inviting a whole normalization of overconsumption with actual, you know, potentially alcoholism. I feel like that's that, that, that's, that's something that I feel like we see though a lot on social media. And like, I mean, I'm sure I've been guilty of it in the past too, where like, you know, often we see um, following so many different beer accounts and, and, and stuff like, you know, celebrating, bringing home massive beer halls and like all like exaggerated, like amounts of, of alcohol. And it's like celebrated, you know, like, Hey, I brought home like 57 beers this week from the brewery. And it's kind of like a a lot of it, I think comes from like FOMO and like collecting and, you know, wanting to try everything. But at some point too, I think it does blur that line of like, how much is too much, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and not saying people that are doing this are drinking all 57 beers in a sitting because that's <laughs> yeah. not what's most likely happening. But I think, you know, sometimes what in the craft beer industry, what people can kind of get away with hiding behind is, well, I'm support, I'm supporting, you know, microbreweries, local businesses, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. same goes for probably local wines, local distilleries. But then what is not being talked about is that, overconsumption, which is definitely happening mm-hmm. at breweries and people that are drinking craft beer. And like, mm-hmm. I can put up my hand and say, I'm guilty of having too many craft beers in an evening. But I think like what I've seen and people are starting to see with local beer is now maybe things are turning the page a little bit. Breweries are coming out with lower alcohol versions because people want to have a couple beers without feeling like they've overdone it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and even with pers- personal preference, like I've started to shift to enjoying more like loggers and things like that, where, you know, I may not be paying for it as much the next day. So I don't know, is that like, that's probably something that you've come across. And was that kind of what led you into wanting to start? I mean, you mentioned your mom, your mom's mm-hmm. story, but just looking at market trends, like, was mm-hmm. this something you saw as a huge opportunity when you, when Mm -hmm. you start your business? Yeah, certainly. So the, after she decided to go alcohol free and we, we took a year to drink non-alcoholic products, everything from sparkling wine to still to beer and, and spirits, we got kind of bored with the lack of selection in Vancouver specifically and the inconvenience of it, having to go to four different stores to get your haul, let's call it for Christmas or your haul for Thanksgiving or the birthday party. 
mm-hmm. things being sold out or things not being available or things just kind of being half quality, like just not great. After a year of that, we just thought, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Let's just do it. Do it ourselves. And we all happened to be, my mom, my sister and I, we all happened to be at a career sort of crossroads in January. So we decided to go into business together and we have not looked back since. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So before we jump in, should we open a beverage then? What, what do you suggest we open first? Oh yeah. Okay. So I did bring you, I did bring y'all some beer, <laughs> non-alcoholic beer. We're going to be opening some Nirvana and we have finally completed our collection of Nirvana beer. This is a East London brewery that's dedicated to brewing only alcohol-free beer, which is one of the only ones in the UK, actually. There's always breweries that have both alcohol and non-alcoholic options, but this one's only dedicated to the alcohol-free side. We finally have all six of their sort of classic core collection, and it just arrived off the boat a couple of weeks ago. So I thought I brought you guys the last two, which is the organic pale ale and the stout, which is also gluten-free. It looks like you're opening the lager, which I do love. The Bavarian Helles Lager is a classic sort of German iconic beer, and it took home a hat trick of awards in 2020 for great taste in the beer category. This is one of my favorite beers, really, really beautiful blend. So I, I wanted to ask you what you're, what you've selected, because obviously you don't have to drink all six, but. I've got the IPA going right now. Nice, my second favorite. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite delicious, if I say so. I had a question about your that year you mentioned of exploring non-alcoholic beverages, mm-hmm. was something like this Nirvana, was that even available to find in Vancouver? Or mm. like, how far did you go? Did this this year of exploring include, you know, I mean, it probably didn't include international travel because this was all during COVID, <laughs> yeah, but no. I assume you were kind of looking outside the uh, the borders of, of Vancouver and BC once you, once you noticed our meek selection. <laughs> Mild selection. We... We started to look out towards the end of the year. I would say the beginning, we just accepted there was other things going on. So we were just probably drinking more water, <laughs> probably just taking it easy. I That soda stream was a good investment. <laughs> it was a great investment. We had some other priorities, but certainly around celebration, we tried to maintain family celebration as much as possible. And we we had enough options to satisfy us, but it was towards the end of the year that we felt like there was just like, how could there only be this? Like this doesn't, like there there can't be. And then we kind of just looked out and looked abroad and the UK is doing amazing. They're coming up with 40 brands every quarter or something. The US is coming, catching up to that. Australia is booming. It's a huge non-alcoholic industry over there. One of the few papers I saw was, I think it's 33% market share for non-alcoholic products in Europe. And it's only 2% in North America. Yeah. Spain's doing really well. Mm-hmm. Germany. Yeah, it's it's everywhere. But here, we didn't immediately kind of think of a business out of that. It was more like, that sucks. <laughs> that we're so behind. Um, but Canada's always behind. Aren't we just so slow? Like music and fashion and <laughs> yep. more glorious Mission things. Impossible 3 just, got, just came out in theaters yeah. last week. <laughs> I just got rid of my rotary phone yesterday, everybody. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's, it's interesting, though, because those those numbers, Aaron, that you just mentioned, those are way off. Like, where is that coming from? You would think that because drinking in the, in the States and Canada and in the UK and Australia, like I would imagine they're kind of at, at similar levels. But this sort of this industry has kind of skyrocketed in everywhere but North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which just, is really fascinating. I'd be curious, like, where, yeah. where is that coming from? It, it, it seems... Almost as insane as like, well, there's just no red cars in North America. <laughs> yeah. like, we, like we just don't sell red cars. Like, right. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, I think one of the things my mom noticed because in the beginning of 2020, before she made this decision, she went back to Scotland to visit some family. And um, one of the family members was in hospital. And when she went to the hospital, they had a full unit, a whole ward size dedicated to, it's called the liver unit. It's dedicated to folks whose livers have failed or in cirrhosis and need replacements or on dialysis or whatever. And and she was kind of shocked at how big it was. So potentially they've invested more or have seen more detriment faster and have tried to make innovative changes to curb that detriment. No, we all know how big of a drinking culture the UK and, and other you know, similar cultures is. Maybe it hit its peak. Maybe it just got so bad that they decided to make a change. And maybe here 
we haven't got as bad or we're just almost at that threshold and we're maybe all reaching it now because of the pandemic. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what I hear. Yeah. I mean, we definitely talked about that with Jordan in the last episode of just how much beer mm -hmm. was leaving his place. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, if there's ever a time for the market to shift a little bit and drinking consumption habits to shift a little bit, it is probably <laughs> coming out of a time when a lot of us were spending a lot of time at home. Yeah. I would say, sometimes, you know, drinking to cope with the fact that we're dealing with a pandemic and the stresses of that and not being around friends and family physically. Um, mm -hmm. And I can say know. from my own personal experience, that's what, that's what it was for me too. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's five o'clock. I'm done for work. I'm bored. I can't go outside. Well, got a fridge full of beer. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. And that five o'clock started to creep up, I think, from what I've understood. Other people brought it up to four and three and two and one. And then there was 11 a.m. happy hours. And I think folks were getting a little alarmed. <laughs> the 11 the eleven a.m. happy hour. If you're on vacation, maybe, you know, like if, you, yeah. if you're in Mexico, like that can pass. But on like a Tuesday, uh, that's a tough call. Zoom call. <laughs> Zoom call, 11 a.m. happy. If happening. someone sends you that invite at work, like you definitely take a bit of a double take. <laughs> Well, yeah. just, just a quick side tangent, guys. Like, how crazy is it looking back that we all thought that Zoom happy hour was a good idea? <laughs> it was oh. never a good idea. <laughs> like, it, it was never a good idea. From my experience, like, it starts off with the best intentions. And it's like, after everyone has one beer, it just turns into people trying not to talk over each other, but at the same time, talking over everyone. <laughs> yep. And then it's just yelling for like 15 minutes and laughing and people like typing in the chat, like, what was that again? Like, oh, I missed <laughs> Or also if you, if you have like nine people, yeah. if you have like nine people on the call, it's just seven people listening to two people talk. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then someone says something like way too personal and you're like, then there's the person after that who follows up with, Oh, geez, uh, 431 already. All right. Got to go, guys. Uh, great happy hour. And then all of a sudden, two minutes later, the whole happy hour ends. And you're like, what? There's always that one domino that's been holding the whole happy <laughs> yeah. hour together. 100%. Oh, Jess 100%. is out of here. All right. Party's over, man. Let's just say Zoom is a sad place. <laughs> it's a very sad, sad place. Oh, oh man. Wow. Too true. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad real happy hours, whether it's with non-alcoholic beverages or alcoholic beverages is coming back well and then also full disclosure too it's kind of funny of us saying that because we're recording remotely at the moment and we're all we're all we're drinking our beverages here uh, all on zoom like technology <laughs> this is true but it, at this time of the evening i don't think that's past happy hour is it yeah. not yeah well i want to say that part of my personal work is to destigmatize what drinking and happy hour looks like and I hope that we can move away from it just being assumed that all beverage intake is about alcohol. Mm -hmm. I'm actually pretty proud that I can I can go for a beer at 8 a.m. because I drink non-alcoholic beer and it actually kicks in in a nice sort of health benefit mm -hmm. <laughs> to the day. Well, you know what? I had this thought to, because I now have, well, now five in the fridge since <laughs> I just drank one. But like, I've never had like a beer at work at 10. Mm -hmm. And that's like, I think I might try that tomorrow. <laughs> it's just going to be like a totally different experience, right? Yeah. I've had coffee, I've had tea, I've had juice and pop and all the beverages, yeah. but I've never had that like, you know, sitting at my computer doing whatever work I'm going to be doing that day and then just enjoying like the flavor of a, of a good beer. Exactly. I think you're touching on the most important part about drinking anything is, does it make you feel good? Do you yeah. enjoy it? Is it pleasurable? Right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole I'm point. Gonna, yeah. I'm going to save one of those for sure for... For tomorrow and uh, have a little yeah, there, there is, you know, there is actually morning a, zoom meeting a post <laughs> just post do it here. on the zoom man and throw everybody for a loop <laughs> <laughs> a driving beer that's the thing though do you have to call like if it's a non-alcoholic be beer do you have to qualify like if you're drinking this or pre-qualify like mm -hmm. hey this is non-alcoholic beer <laughs> so people don't think you're just getting sauced at like your 10 a.m call <laughs> like this guy's this guy's off the handle right now no but luke has an excuse because he's about to go on vacation and he's like man he's oh, already checked out on vacation mode isn't he <laughs> yeah but we have a pretty like strict no drinking at work policy at work so <laughs> yeah, it might need some uh, some disclosures and some pre-explanations if it's going to show up on a zoom call you probably got to mm -hmm. sign a waiver <laughs> <laughs> there's probably there's probably an online waiver for that. Well, I'm enjoying 
the Bavarian uh, lager here, uh, Helles lager even. Mm -hmm. And this is like the closest I can say it is to an actual uh, traditional full alcohol Bavarian lager. Uh, so yeah, because Hell Hellas is one of my favorite styles there. So yeah, really enjoying this. Awesome. Chris, uh, what's, what's your, what are you drinking and what's your review here? I am trying the traditional pale ale. And yeah, it's, it's pretty solid. It's got some nice kind of roasty malt flavors to it. I mean, like I think most non-alcoholic beers, like I find like they're definitely kind of lighter in the body, but a few that I've tried, like they're kind of lighter in the body and then really lacking flavor as well. That's why like I've found it, the few that I've tried pretty hard to get into, but this one's pretty solid. Like it's actually got a good flavor to it and is definitely like closer to the English kind of ales that I've had either at Main Street or, or the big the big thing that I forgot to say about this lager is the carbonation's correct on it, right? Because there's been some other non-alcoholic beers that I had where it's like big, thick, like soda stream bubbles in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just not gonna do it. Yeah. No, no. I was gonna say just about your traditional pale ale, Chris. There's the non-alcoholic limit is 0.5% alcohol by volume, ABV. That traditional is only, that is actually a 0.0. .0 and mm -hmm. that is for folks that aren't comfortable with any ABV present in the beer. So with Nirvana, they don't do a lot of dealkalizing. They actually do most of their work in the ferment up to 0.5% or just keeping it around that 0 0.3. Um, so that's actually pretty hard to do, <laughs> to get, it's like a, I mean, they won't tell me exactly how they do it. It's pretty proprietary. But to be able to achieve the flavor that they've reached without doing any full ferment mm -hmm. and then dealkalizing, I'd say they've put in their 10,000 hours to figure out how to make that happen. Yeah, it seems like a pretty complex process to try to achieve or kind of mimic that like flavor in a, an alcoholic beer while keeping it like at a, yeah, un under that limit, at or under that limit, like you, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing correctly, there's kind of, and I don't really know much about brewing beer, <laughs> but what I'm hearing is to make non-alcoholic beer, there's kind of two approaches. You can do all your sort of flavor building before there's any sort of presence of alcohol before any of that fermentation begins, or you can let it go a little higher and then take that alcohol out in, in one way or another, sort mm -hmm. of a de-alcoholized versus a brew up to zero. Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. And cool. de-alcoholizing has been used regardless outside the non-alcoholic industry as well. Sometimes we, and you would probably know this more than I do, but sometimes we, we ferment much higher than can be sold as a normal sessionable drinking beer and we have to bring it back down to a, a five to seven percent. So this happens in the wine industry as well. We, some really, really deep wines will go way past 20% and that's just not <laughs> conducive to anyone drinking a bottle of wine. So they will bring it back down using gel cleansing methods. Vacuum distillation is usually the sort of common method, but in more recent advanced winemaking methods specifically they use spinning cone column which we can we can get into later Centrifuging. yeah we can talk about that with wine but yeah for beer they do a lot of dealkalizing i had no idea that that was that was a thing i thought with regular you know alcohol levels they just this is where it is this is what we're gonna call it <laughs> sell it <laughs> we're gonna call it a day right here no it's a lot of a lot of playing around i mean it would be kind of wild to to drink a twenty five percent ABV wine, <laughs> a glass of that. I'm just, I'm just trying to remember, like, what's what's a fat tug like seven and a half? Like, you know, here comes a thirteen percent fat tug. Like, whoa, night over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious with with Nirvana. Like, was this a lot of trial and error to like get that flavor and then also be able to keep it at that level? Like, I imagine it took a while to mm -hmm. try to perfect that and then also like for the ones that are zero percent then also do the de-alkalizing like i imagine they're it's probably hard to get that right the first time it is yeah i think that's why so many good beers are made by foolproof alcoholic brewers because they know what they're looking for and they they deeply understand the process becky and her brother over at nirvana were 
beer lovers before they started brewing. It took a lot for them to, and they have a, they have a, a sort of a beer expert on their team and that they brought on as a partner early on to start to learn the process and, and come up with their, what their craft would look like. But they didn't come from, they don't have a line of full strength beer themselves to kind of compare it to. So this is all made from a lot of testing and a lot of work with a unique set of hops. Stuff that's available in the UK, but also that lager is fully made in Germany and they bring it over once it's complete. And so they've done a lot of work to craft this up. All right, Luke, looks like you grabbed a new one there. Uh, what what are you opening? I'm pretty stoked to try this stout. So that's, that's the next one I grabbed here. Um, oh, cool. That's one of our new ones. Yeah, I see this is a 0.0. This is also 0.0. This is also gluten-free. We get a lot of requests for gluten-free beer. So I'm happy to have something to offer people now. So we, these are one of the, this is one of the first brands that we reached out to when we decided to launch the company and launch the import side of the business. So we have two kind of arms, the business. One is our import and one's our marketplace for consumers called sensorium.com. They, yeah, they just continually to do well in the space and we wanted to bring it to Canada. So here it is. Is your team the only distributor for for them in Canada or is like, and, and are you distributing across Canada? Yeah. So we were the first to bring them into Canada. We've just signed them on to a distributor in Ontario now, and they have a U.S. distributor as well. So we represent now Manitoba and West for distribution, and they now have their their Eastern rep. So it's great. They're growing. But like if somebody was to go to sansorium.com, because we have a lot of listeners in Quinnell, they could order and you <laughs> ship to them. But then, but then also if they're throughout Canada, you'll ship to them as well, right? That's right. We do ship across Canada. Online, there's no borders. So yeah, we have a flat rate shipping in VC and uh, for 10 bucks, no matter what size your order. Man, Quinnell, buy it up. I'm, I'm going to have to text this all to my mom and dad. So like, <laughs> even if they are listening, like. <laughs> yeah. And then again, across Canada, flat rate. Anybody else, 20 bucks. So how's, the, how's that stout? It's, it's really nice. Yeah. As I poured it, it had some really nice head as well, but it's great. It's smooth. And like you said, the carbonation on, what were you drinking? The, the lager? The lager. You yep. noted the carbonation. I think this one. Is great too for a stout. Nice, like chocolatey, definitely mm-hmm. chocolatey notes. I see it's got notes of vanilla in there. It's mm-hmm. labeled in the tasting notes on the bottle, mm-hmm. uh, but definitely kind of cocoa forward, which mm-hmm. is definitely nice. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, that's delicious. For non alcoholic beverages in Canada, like what are some of the other kind of big players out there? Beer is popular, I would say. Everyone kind of knows that non alcoholic beer exists at least, and at the very least have tried one or two. We were attracted to Nirvana because it's craft in a glass bottle, which is pretty unique right now. So there's not another craft beer in Canada, from what I can think of off well, the top alcohol, of my head. Alcohol-free. Yeah. Alcohol-free in a glass bottle. It oh. does for us as a business, it's really great for restaurants and upper-end wholesale. So we took them on for that reason. It's a great product, but also it's really good for distribution. Nice. Does Nirvana, do they do any sort of like draft business? Maybe in I the think UK? it's starting. Yeah, I think it's starting. We've asked. There's just a ton of logistics involved in getting that developed out here. And probably the next phase would actually be brewing in Canada for us to be able to do that. I mean, it still sounds like, relatively speaking, it's a pretty untapped, pun intended, market in Canada. <laughs> Yes. Um, it's why it totally is, which is why at the on the weekend we were all at this big expo for Health Foods Canada, basically, with hundreds and hundreds of different vendors. And when I came back and I saw maybe we were there was probably less than 10 vendors in the non-alcoholic space, I just told my community, if you're building a non-alcoholic brand, keep going because there is so much opportunity. There is so much space and there's so much demand. And the the big distributors are trying to find a new non-alc brand that they can represent. So everyone should be doing one, <laughs> if you ask me. And, and some of the pros too is like, like you mentioned, some of these brands being in, in like a Whole Foods, right? Is you can see these are on the shelves in, in grocery stores, right? Whereas mm-hmm. at least in BC, I'm not sure about the rest of Canada, but you can't buy alcohol in, in most grocery stores. I know there's some select cases where you can, like, I know, like superstore and wine too, for some things like you can't buy beer. Yeah. In, exactly. a, in a grocery store. Yeah. Like I was going to say superstore in Richmond, like they have a wine insider aisle, but I guess that's like, yeah, like the exception, like you mentioned, but I mean, that's, yeah. If you're just, you know, strolling, picking up groceries and you're 
feeling feeling thirsty or you you want something to pair with the meal that you're about to prepare well Mm -hmm. if there's you know a plethora of non-alcoholic beers kind of right there for you then it's Mm -hmm. it's an easy it's an easy selection to make right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's it's a huge stage right and like Mm -hmm. that's essentially empty space in the shelves where you could potentially be set up for success if you do Mm -hmm. if you Mm -hmm. you do things right this is also back to our conversation about the difference in the UK and Australia and, and out West here. They've all had alcohol in their grocery stores since the beginning. Yeah, I actually can't speak for the US. I think that there are some that maybe haven't integrated. Washington State, yeah. Yeah. And definitely, you can, I, it's one of the first things I used to do is when I'm down in the city of subdued excitement is go to Fred Meyer's there and mm-hmm. there's the yeah. two rows of beer fridges there. So mm-hmm. yeah, so let's Even not- Walmart. Yeah, Walmart, CVS, I think they all have it. So let's not speak for them. But certainly in Canada, Save on Foods, they've only launched in the last few years six locations that have a fully integrated wine category, alcoholic wine category for BC wine specifically. Some insight, I don't think it's doing too well. Um, maybe because for the, we've never shopped for wine inside of grocery stores and maybe kind of people are feeling a little bit of hesitation around that. Just, I don't know. Quality. Also might be a, yeah, selection thing too. Like, selection? They, like, yeah, if they don't like, like BC wine. <laughs> or only a certain size of a vineyard can, you know, be in there. Yeah. But. Yeah. We don't work with the liquor board. Non-alcoholic product goes through the food license, food and beverage license side of things. It's what we have, a CFIA license. We do not need to work the liquor board. So we can work with any retailer that has, that wants to sell it, which is nice and easy. And you can ship it direct to their house. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to try another one here. All right. Trying this um, hoppy pale ale. It's actually, re- it's really good. Certainly hoppy. Yeah, this is kind of trippy. Yeah. The crazy thing, man, is you'll go to bed and you'll be like, hey, I'm I'm fine. And then you'll wake up in the morning and you're like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even after drinking, I never wake up in the morning like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> Big time, not, not a morning person at all as hard as I try to be but <laughs> but no but I'm talking about like just that you know the sluggishness mm-hmm. of like oh yeah I gotta go. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, yeah there's actually so much about drinking non-alcoholic product like making the switch from the alcoholic version to the non-alcoholic version and the placebo effect that it has on your body your brain and everything included like mm-hmm. it's it's pretty wild that's why I not only are the hops kind of like giving me a little relaxation in the non-alc session ale that we just had, but the, or IPA, but I'm, I associate, and this is where most people, I would agree actually would me would associate drinking a beer with relaxing. So as long as you asso- have the association of the taste to the effect mm-hmm. of the alcohol, your body knows what to do. Mm-hmm. It will go into a state of relaxation on the first sip because it's got a cue. The olfactory system has a cue by smelling it. Your taste buds and the saliva and the secretion and everything into your gut knows how to like lower its need for digestion. It's it's all working together. Your cortisol goes down everything. So you can actually feel super relaxed on a non-alcoholic beer without the ethanol. Yeah, because it's like a it's like a learned exactly. process of the body, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'll even have a glass of like red wine and I'll start to feel a little flush (laughs) and it's impossible. It's impossible. There's no way there's 0.5%. My body's metabolizing that, that alcohol faster than I could feel any kind of effect ever. But that's, that was what I did before. If I drank a glass of red wine, that's, I felt hot. I felt, you know, the sensation and a lot of people do too. And I, and I can even like manifest it too. If I wanted to, I can even make it happen now. As you're talking about it, I get a little bit of my cheeks. Right? It's like, oh, man, or am I drunk? Like Behind the knees. Like if you've practiced something so many times, if your body has practiced something so many times, it can do it again just from muscle memory. Now, I don't really want to put any particular company on blast, but I, I do find this funny because I was in Whistler over the weekend. <laughs> and um, you're, you're, you're preempting that, but like assuming this is followed by putting said company on blast. No, 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 no. No names? Okay. No names. Okay. Trying to be friendly here. But uh, there was a great non-alcoholic beer selection up in Whistler over the weekend. And something caught my eye. So keep in mind, this is a non-alcoholic beer, right? And it's called a Session IPA. They've called it a Session IPA. And I'm like, well, 
I know you sell a regular IPA. So what's different about this session IPA? They both don't have alcohol in it. Mm. <laughs> How much more sessionable can it get, eh? Yeah. <laughs> and did so, you try it? it? It's fantastic. But it's just like, guys, I mean, this name doesn't make sense. <laughs> because session IPAs, for anybody that isn't aware, is because generally IPAs are above 5% alcohol. And then the session IPAs are below 5%. So... The thing is, is this company makes both a quote regular IPA and a quote session IPA. And it's like, well, what's the difference? They're both alcohol free. Have you tried both of those? <laughs> I have. Yeah, they're both great. You've sessioned there's, there's, yeah, there's, di- there's different hops in both of them. There's so, different hops. Yeah. Right. yeah. Dial a friend. I mean, this, this non-alcoholic brewery is, is not solely to blame here when it comes to just random names and making up styles for beer like i feel like they should have just called it a unicorn something that is plaguing the craft beer industry (laughs) everywhere like just random names for and and making up styles for beer like this is kind of a you could probably find like a very heated reddit forum on this (laughs) if you have like if you want to go into like a black hole for like seven days I'm sure you could find enough content to do it. There's somebody angry just smashing their keyboard now about why a milkshake IPA should be banned from. I think a milkshake IPA should be banned for many reasons. Yeah. Um, So anyway, we've talked a lot about beer, Mm -hmm. but you had a major event recently Mm -hmm. in Vancouver's first alcohol-free wine tasting night. Mm -hmm. How did that go? And what was the event for? Yeah, so that was our that was our first wine tasting night. It went really, really well. We had seventy tickets sell out in a few days, uh, and which we underestimated wait list, right? and waitlist yeah. people. Yeah, so obviously there was some interest, and, and we barely put the word. <laughs> I thought I'd have to do a lot more marketing than that, but thankfully I didn't. Everybody showed up, which was great. We have and sorry to interrupt, but I will say big difference that I noticed because I was at the event is alcohol free. Everybody was on time. They were punctual. <laughs> like, like if we were like, the event was ready to go like 20 minutes before it was like, everybody was there like 20 minutes beforehand. And you I had know. to, you had to text your virtual guest and be like, yo, can we start early? I know. <laughs> so, I gave everybody an hour to show up and they showed up all before seven. <laughs> I had like a two stragglers at 745. Yeah. Or sorry. Six. Yeah. 645. It was a bit, it was a bit much. Yeah. I but like yeah, everybody was like in their seats, ready to go Keen. at 630. And it's so like, cool. whoa. Okay. So keen. Yeah, we had to Let's ease into this. Let's ease in. No, our guest was in Australia and in the, in the, like at the vineyard, sort of like out in the fields. And we, I had to like draw him back in somehow from (laughs) over text to get online. Anyway, it went really well. I, to my best knowledge, and we kind of did a little bit of research, there hasn't been an alcohol-free wine tasting night like that in Canada, maybe, or they haven't published it, but essentially we had... 25, 30 different wines that you could taste that night. So every bottle was opened. We talked about one collection in in particular because it was the launch in Canada for Edenvale, Australia's most decorated alcohol-free wine. And then we opened up all of the other bottles that we normally carry on Sensorium so folks could come and try everything and buy it at the same time. Uh, And we would give you sort of tasting notes and profiles on each of the wines. We'd answer questions about how de-alkalized wine is made. A real opportunity. There's been definitely some... Uh, unfortunate alcohol-free wine made in the past and has left some people with a little bit of apprehension about purchasing or trying new alcohol-free wine. Our hope from that event was to, you know, bust some myths and really get people onto finding a new one that they really enjoyed. Uh, but yeah, the, the goal was to launch, primarily was to launch Eden Vale and success. We did it. It's in the world now. It's in Canada. They've been around for a long time. So it's really great to have them in Canada now. Yeah, I'd be now as as you describe this, I'd be super curious to try some of the wines that that you and your your team carry because I must admit I do have a bad association with <laughs> non-alcohol or with alcohol-free wine. Just mm-hmm. because it, you know, I'm sure the ones that I've had many years back were just not the good ones. They definitely were not the good ones. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Yep. Yeah, that's 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 actually what kind of catalyzed us into getting into the business in the first place was our love for wine. I don't have a huge relationship with alcohol, so wine isn't at the top of my priorities, but I actually started enjoying alcohol-free wine much more than I did the alcoholic version because I felt free 
<laughs> to do to have life around it. I'm fairly allergic to alcohol and to its effects. So drinking alcohol-free wine means I can drive where I want to go. I can feel myself. I can act myself. I can get up the next day, go for a run, look after my daughter, blah, 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 everything. Life is just kind of, for me, a little bit easier. And the pleasure of the beverage is actually more at the forefront for me in terms of profile, tasting notes, just overall experience. I'm not kind of negotiating and battling with the ethanol in the beverage to get the honest expression of what's trying to come through in that varietal. I'm just tasting it as it is. So that's where wine kind of came up for us as the, as the priority. You will have had some bad experiences because the technology wasn't that great to bring alcoholic wine down to alcohol-free. They were really great at bringing some of the alcohol out with the technology that they had, but not certainly not taking it down to zero. And what happens when you take out ethanol which is a very powerful molecule at holding flavor and body and profile and notes and, and, and everything we're looking for and depth, it goes with the ethanol. So you're left with this watery version of a grape. Right. And I, I imagine too, the, you know, the market and the demand for these products is changing now, but years back when I might've tried these wines, those are probably sitting on the shelf for quite a while too <laughs> yeah. at the grocery store. So, you know, all, everything you've just described, plus give it, you know, yeah. four or five months sitting on the top of a shelf in a, in a store that's, you know, fluctuating by 10 mm -hmm. degrees every night when the, everybody goes home. <laughs> You're right. Probably yeah. not a good, not a good product in the end. Because just, just thinking about this, like how you said, how there's like a non-fermenting process with some of the beers that you have for us. You can't just do that with wine either because it's just grape juice, right? Like, so does all wine have to go through that fermentation process and then have it, have the alcohol removed? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the way you make alcohol-free wine starts at the same way you make alcoholic wine. So you'll have very unique varietal vineyards. You'll have different harvesting schedules. You'll have different years that the grapes were picked different regions, you know, so we can kind of go through the same terroir conversation about wine that we, for alcoholic wine as we would for alcohol-free wine. After it's been harvested, after it's been fermented, there's one step at the end, kind of a, a complicated long step, but there is another step that de-alkalizes the wine. The tricky thing though, is that those brands probably didn't realize where they were losing the profile, where they were losing body, where they were losing nose and where they were losing that length and where they were losing the, if they wanted a dry red, they weren't sure where they were losing it. Eden Vale have done a ton of research and discovered where in the process they were losing all of that, all, that, all those characteristics and figured out how to put it back into the wine. So not only are they de-alkalizing, they're deconstructing the wine, figuring that out bringing back some of the varietal grape must back into it and then kind of recrafting the wine at the end before you taste it. So it's quite laborious. It's not, it's not cheap. They've invested almost $4 million in their technology to be able to do this. And they've been working on it since 2006. So this isn't for anyone to just start and think they will nail it the first time. It does take does take a lot of work. I mean, when you describe this, I kind of feel like when you describe when when you call a product, you know, something free, like it almost sounds, you know, at the surface, it's losing something or it's it's a negative, right? Like that's the connotation I kind of, you know, previously had towards it. But then you describe all of the work that goes into removing, you know, the alcohol from one of these products, and you know, it's just as craft as you know, an alcoholic mm -hmm. wine, right? Or in the case of, mm -hmm. of the beer we've been been drinking, mm -hmm. you know, the, the same thing. So I feel like it, they've kind of had to like alcoholic free products, like have been at this disadvantage, I think, just from like a branding, right? Like, do you think that there's that calling something alcoholic free does more harm than good in some cases? Whereas like, you know, would you ever at some point call it, you know, not even call it beer or call it wine, call it something completely unique. For example, I mean, we tried, you know, a kind of elixir on, on one of our previous podcasts, which one of the things we talked about when we were drinking is drinking it is you go into it with zero expectations because it's, you're, you're not comparing it to a previous experience or a previous beer or a previous wine. And, you know, you come out of it being like, just simply, this is a good product. And, you know, if I tried 
say one of these if they weren't even called alcohol free beers, but I just tried one of these and you know enjoyed it and said, "Oh, this tastes delicious." Like maybe I would be less inclined to have a negative connotation towards it being alcohol free. Mm -hmm. As as you say that, Chris, it kind of reminds me of when the first gluten free products were hitting the market too. Right. Like. I kind of feel like there was a stigma and they were just assumed totally. to be bad, right? Because like they're missing now, like, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But like now there's great gluten-free products. It just takes a while totally. for, for people to figure it out. Well, what this actually arises is our cultural value placed on alcohol, not mm-hmm. so much the beverage. So we perceive alcohol by ways of exceptional marketing to believe that drinking alcohol is the superior experience over not drinking alcohol. That's why we, we have them. <laughs> like you can't just have a soda. It's a rum and soda. Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Or that's why, you know, down the stream, just drinking uh, a juice or a carbonated beverage when you go out for drinks is not as cool as drinking an alcoholic beverage and why people kind of poke fun at the person who's not drinking that night. They are still drinking something. You just perceive them to be drinking something of less value. The good time drink. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So alcohol companies have done wonders for creating a vision for alcohol. That's partially true and a lot untrue. (laughs) I mean, if you look at actually what the scene is that you see when you look at an an Alk ad, you'll see the beautifully dressed people. You'll see the wonderful sunshine or the greatly dressed up table. I've yet to have a yacht arrive outside my place when I've been drinking. So we're all in bikinis, right? We all, maybe you're just drinking the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> we're all cheersing, but there's never ever in the history of alcohol been a scene shown of the person hungover in bed or puking after drinking too much of that whiskey or whatever, that rum or getting into a fight with their spouse, or, I mean, we've, we've pushed that into comedy. We've pushed that into film and, and TV, but those brands are not owning that scene. Nope. <laughs> but that's partially <laughs> true. And that's, if not more true than the yacht with the bikini and the blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. So we've done it. They've done a great job at selling it to us. That's interesting how you, how you, how you say that, like all of those obvious negatives of it have not been seen as negatives by society. They have been seen as essentially comedic effects, right? Like we've, so many people have had nights out where they've gone, you know, almost blackout drunk, if not blackout drunk, thrown up, done something stupid. And then you get made fun of. And it's like, we all laugh at that guy the next day. Yeah. It's so much more like, um, kind of has like a slapstick comedic feel before it has any sort of serious feel to it right Mm -hmm. and it has makes it so much easier to just go back and do that again because there is that support and acceptance from society of those actions and and that that scene that happened but yeah i was gonna say like the contrast between ads and then just like i mean i haven't been down there for quite a while but you know what a saturday night on on granville street looks like at at two in the morning (laughs) <laughs> just madness right but that goes All back around. to kind of what you mentioned has been ingrained in our culture yeah. and in yeah. advertising and in film and in tv mm-hmm. and like if you're mm-hmm. not having it you're missing out on the good time right or you're not you know creating those stories that you can tell the next day you know to mm-hmm. your friends and, and have a laugh about right like it, it is it is odd that that is what gets celebrated and often encourages people to keep doing it, right? And not and not to go down into the underbelly of it, but to touch on it, if you are using alcohol to cope with social anxiety or depression or lack a lackluster life and someone else is not joining you in that coping mechanism, you desperately want them to because it makes you feel better. It makes you feel more normalized in your choice to use alcohol to do that. So we're grasping at the camaraderie of drinking to cope while not recognizing our own relationship with alcohol that's actually problematic. And then we, yeah, and then we use comedy point. to make fun of people, which is wildly accepted. For me, at least, it was experience of being guilted into drinking for a long time, even though I didn't want to. Um, and I would fake it <laughs> at bars all the time with water shots and beautiful looking non-alcoholic cocktails by bartenders that knew the secret, but would my friend, just to avoid the, the mockery 
from people and or just the pressure, even if they weren't mocking me, just the pressure to drink. And I didn't want to. Because that's not that's not fun for for anybody. Right. Right. No. Yeah. And yeah, ho- it's hopefully so with- inclusive. Absolutely. Nine times out of 10, you you never have fun when you're pressured into something. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'd love to see a world where we go out and it's not assumed that you are drinking alcohol and it, it's an inclusive environment that invites everyone to have choice. And that includes folks that are known to regularly drink alcohol to take a night off and not feel the pressure to uphold their old image and to create a new image for themselves because there's ample opportunity to find joy in not drinking. There's ample opportunity to find your innate expression of joy in not drinking alcohol. It's And it's completely fine to do so. And, you know, you, it's not like we have to kill a puppy if you don't have a drink when you go out. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, I think it, you know, to nudge, like, to nudge people in that direction feeling okay to not have an alcoholic drink, like, and it starts with having to have other options, right? Because if you're mm-hmm. going out with people and you're saying, you know what, you're telling yourself, I'm not going to have a beverage tonight. And then you get to the place where <laughs> everyone's going to have drinks and they've got zero non-alcoholic options. And it's pretty much I'm having soda or I'm having water. Well, then, you know, it becomes a pretty tough decision for, I think, said individual. But, you know, if you're actually... Because we got water at home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but if you have solid non-alcoholic beer options, or I mean, one thing I've seen a lot more at restaurants now is a lot of effort actually put into like a curated mocktail list. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, I myself don't even really notice that that much because I definitely lean towards having an alcoholic drink if I'm going out. But my wife, Sabrina, you know, she doesn't drink a ton. And we have friends that also don't drink a ton. So like, they are looking at those lists. And then I'll take a sip of her drink. I'll be like, wow, that's actually that's good. Like that's a really good cocktail without the alcohol. So Mm -hmm. there are places that are doing it, but I feel like, you know, it's still pretty early, like in that kind of world of this becoming mainstream. Mm -hmm. I've been noticing a lot more places that have non-alcoholic beer and and more non-alcoholic options other than kombucha. Um, We sell a ton of spirits. It's, it's a big part of our business, uh, the non-alcoholic kind. (laughs) both wholesale to restaurants and bars and cafes and um, to customers. Fiona, what's your opinion on like Vancouver's non-alcoholic like cocktail scene? And like where are there any places you would recommend that are doing a really good job or Mm -hmm. um, do you think it's, do you think there's enough options out there for like kind of at this stage in the, I don't know if we want it weird to call it like a renaissance of non-alcoholic product <laughs> yeah i like that a lot like, for sure do you think we're at a good stage in vancouver and it's kind of growing in a in a direction and a pace that's you know satisfying or to see or do you kind of see some pretty big holes and gaps that you wish were filled yeah i mean if you if you went around and did a survey of the number of restaurants that have an integrated non-alcoholic cocktail menu with their cocktail menu it's very low for a long time, people have had have had mocktails that are uh, maybe like a, a lime and soda bitters kind of option or like a, a fruit mixer and some, you know, some bubbly. They've kind of just lightly departed from the Shirley Temple <laughs> um, and called it something else, <laughs> which is super sad because that's the 90s. <laughs> Let's get on board. But we are, I'm kind of in the bubble. So I, and I don't go to places anymore that don't really have great options. So I could, I could list off a bunch of places for you and we have them on our website where you can find products that are, or restaurants that carry our products. So Nemesis Cafe, if you go to their dinner series, you can get wine and beer from us. If you go to Nightshade and Restaurant, they're a new plant-based like upscale restaurant. They do an exceptional cocktail menu. Um, there's, some, there's a new sushi bar that just opened up in Granville Island that carries a lot of our stuff. Zarak on Main Street carries our stuff from wine and, and liquor and they have, they have an amazing cocktail bar too. You know, it's interesting. I talked to a lot of, I'm a previous restaurant owner as well. And I love talking to bartenders and people that kind of come up with bar menus and the interview process for a new bartender is to ask them to make a good non-alcoholic cocktail. That's how you know if they're a good bartender because it's very hard. It's very easy to put a splash of any spirit <laughs> And a bit of mixer in a glass and call it a cocktail. 
It's not when you're working with a product that is, it needs craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. So that's the test. Alcohol does conceal a lot in, in, in drinks. So. I'm, I'm curious, do you think like, what is it going to take to, I guess, move the needle and see more bars and restaurants start to offer a more diverse, non-alcoholic cocktail, beer, wine kind of lineup? Like, do you see that needing to come from the restaurants and bars themselves? Or do you think it's also part on consumers asking for it and talking to the bartender, talking to servers and saying like, why don't you have this? Like, I'm like, this is something that, you know, I'm interested in, I would pay for, mm-hmm. or is, is it kind of a mix of both? And then even, I mean, yourself on the like distributor side, you know, talking to restaurants and obviously trying to get your products into these restaurants and bars, like, is it kind of the trifecta of every, everyone having to have that discussion mm-hmm. to get to, mm-hmm. to a better place? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it certainly makes my job easier if someone and a bunch of people have been chirping at a bar for a while and I finally come along and say, hey, do you feel like you want someone? And they're like, yes, finally, someone's arrived that can answer all my customers' needs. Because I knew that if I did do if I did none of the customer education and I came up to a bar and they said, no, no one's ever asked, then they're not going to want to pull the product in. No one wants to pay for it. No one wants to make a new menu. No one wants to have storage of a product that's not moving restaurant space is, is very expensive and very valuable. So why would they take up a product that's not being asked for? So certainly it makes my job easier to first reach consumers and then make them go do the asking. And I'll just show up at the end and with the magic list of product that they could buy, having conversations like this. This is, you know, the way that you are asking questions and the way that you're, I can see little light bulbs going off about certain things that we've never maybe looked at before together. I have a feeling that after this conversation, you'll probably go on to the next one and drop a couple notes that we talked about today. And that will change that person's opinion potentially. And then it kind of unfolds from there. That's my belief, but I sit in a, I I truly believe in education. And this goes back to where me and Aaron first met is, is these long form media conversations are really deeply and powerful. I don't think I actually mentioned that. Yeah. We've worked on a podcast. That's how we first originally met. (laughs) That's how we first met actually was on a podcast producing together. Yeah. I think that these conversations, these make a difference. So I, I tend to have a lot of these and see a lot of people impacted by them. And, and it's just awareness too, because I've had to ask the staff because like you said, like printing, printing new menus, like I look and there's like no options, but then I ask somebody and they're like, Oh yeah, we got this in the back and pull it out. I was in a bar downtown and it had this big U-shaped bar, right? And they brought me the non-alcoholic beer, poured it in a glass, and I, I kept the can there. And I just noticed everybody was looking at me and they're just like, oh, what's that? And they started asking the bartender. And then within a half hour, there's at least 30 seats around this U. And I'd say 10 people had the non-alcoholic beer that I was having. Wow. So I think it's just awareness and exposure. And some of them actually ordered a few more rounds of the non-alcoholic nice. beer. So, Aaron, you're just a uh, taste, that's awesome. taste maker. Like you just got accepted, buddy. <laughs> you're an influencer. <laughs> you, yeah. you got that close. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, it's that guy. I he, think he that's knows a, the good stuff. Well, that's a really, you know, if they were drinking foolproof before. Yeah, yeah I, they were. Yeah. Well, it's so nice to be able to have one foolproof, one zero, one full, one zero, mm-hmm. and come out only having two rounds of alcohol, but you had four delicious beers. Like, that's a great evening, if you ask me. That's that's a great point too, because, you know, we've, I feel like we've kind of chatted about either drinking or not drinking and it doesn't have to be like that. Like exactly. You could, it's not all one or all the other. Yeah. I've definitely had nights where, you know, I've had four beers and uh, the last one I was like, (laughs) I don't think I really, I just wanted something to drink because everybody's standing around with something and you don't yeah, want the so, night to end, but you don't want to be standing there with nothing in your hand at the same time. So. Yeah, yeah. Luke, right. are you maybe speaking to um, Go Big or Go Home? <laughs> uh, episode, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Go back in the archives and listen to that. That was a lot of, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was fun at the time. It was a Oh, it was night, really fun so. at the time, but, you know, mixing in um, a couple you know, non-alcoholics in between uh, may, yeah. may have help. uh, oh. helped us out a little bit there. Well, ultimately, we all just want to wake up and feel good, right? Yeah, we want exactly. We don't want one night to ruin the next day. That's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's like there. There doesn't have to be teams, right? It's not. Mm-hmm. We're drinking. You're mm-hmm. not, sort of thing. No. Like we're all yeah, no. we're all in this together, and we're all. I mean, 
I think it's important to like what we touched on, like, you know, if you're drinking to cope with certain things, you're, you're looking for others to support you in that by doing the same thing, but maybe that, that support needs to happen in a, in a different fashion. Right. And that's, Mm -hmm. that needs to include open conversations and, and the acceptance of, you know, either doing half, half or all Mm -hmm. one, one night or all the other, whatever, but just kind of that support and awareness of what, what you're doing. And, and, and like you touched on Fiona, your, your relationships, you know, with alcohol and then also with the people in your life with alcohol included in those Mm -hmm. and how, Mm -hmm. how is that shaping your life? And is that shaping it into, to what you want it to be? And yeah, and at the end of it, we're not saying don't have fun, don't don't enjoy yourself, but there are options for you to be healthy and still enjoy yourself as well. I, I really hope, I think people will see how fun they actually can be without the alcohol. That to me is like true next level yeah, empowerment. That, that uncle at the wedding will actually be a good dancer <laughs> instead of thinking he's a good dancer. <laughs> and it's, you know what, like it's, it's fun too, like from somebody that like I drink alcohol. But last year, geez, I guess almost a year and a half ago now when my my wife was pregnant with our now nine-month-old daughter, we have a nice little mid-century teak bar cabinet in our living room. And we kind of pride ourselves on these little Christmas cocktail parties that we used to do a few years back. I have a good friend that's really into cocktail making and and we would kind of get together and put a little menu together. So we have kind of a little little cocktail um, culture in our sort of family and and circle. But when she was pregnant, we started making some non-alcoholic options for cocktails. And we started, you know, we bought some Lumet and some some seed lip and started kind of going into those options for, for her sake. But that, you know, her sake turned into my sake too. And we both enjoyed those. And I I kind of made variations on cocktails where I just kind of subbed out the gin for the Lumet at the time. And like, that stuff is good. And it's not, Mm -hmm. and I think we chatted about this couple podcasts ago, but, and Chris, you touched on it now too, but like, you don't necessarily have to, and it's easier with spirits, I think, but you don't have to compare it to gin. You don't have to compare it to vodka. It can just be what it is too. Right. And if you Mm -hmm. kind of, maybe if you take that expectation off of it, you know, there's some potential to maybe look at it in a different light and increase that enjoyment with it as well. Mm. And I must say, like, we made some pretty, some pretty tasty cocktails and and she definitely enjoyed them. And I, I definitely had a few as well and enjoyed them likewise. Go you. (laughs) Look at you. You already know more than I do. (laughs) Well, I mean, that was a lot of wisdom you did jump on us, but I think it is time for the actual segment of Luke's Moments of Wisdom. So Luke, this week, what's, what is your moment of wisdom? My Wednesday word of wisdom, I guess today would be, pardon the alliteration, watch out for the weight of water, probably. I had a friend over last weekend, and my wife had just gone to Value Village and she bought a bag of like little building blocks, like the plastic ones, like the big, essentially big Lego and they came in a bag and it's it was probably like a reusable shopping bags worth and she was like oh i'm just going to just going to give these a quick rinse before we give them to our daughter so she pulled out like a laundry basket but one that doesn't have holes in the sides it's just like a solid laundry basket and it's got two two little handles on it and she filled it with with water and and dumped those blocks in there it was quite a nice day out i think and she uh, she was going to go kind of rinse them off on the patio so she asked said friend to 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 bring him over to the patio and and as he lifted it the handles ripped off and we ended up with about 30 or 40 liters of water just kind of racing through our hallway in our apartment through the hardwood floor so we were all scrambling and panicking doesn't but, sound um, like it, it doesn't sound like it was the friend's fault though <laughs> not like i'm speaking from experience but like it doesn't sound like it, it sounds like he was just trying to like lend a hand i, I think Sorry, he could have Aaron. <laughs> yeah i think the friend should have known to lift from the bottom. I think the friend should have lifted the handles. <laughs> you know, I think if the friend had had a few non-alcoholic <laughs> beers prior, he may have thought through the lifting technique a little more thoroughly. So the metaphor here is... <laughs> Don't Wait, drink water. for cleaning your mega blocks is kind of like the big, the big takeaway. The takeaway, yeah. Water's heavy. I will mm. say um, watching... 
Luke and Brooke react to this water kind of just flowing throughout the entire apartment was quite the experience. <laughs> Cause I kind of just like stood there like, did this actually just break? And like, oh God, this is bad. And within like two seconds, like I had an entire closet worth of towels thrown in my direction. <laughs> like the response time, like I don't know if you guys are, if Luke and them are, Luke and Brooke are practicing like their, the earthquake response or earthquake drills or, (laughs) but but they just went into like, they knew what to do immediately. And within like two minutes, I think Luke had unscrewed all of the baseboards in the house. He had, he had the washing machine ripped out from underneath. They were looking for any minor leak. I now know all the details about the concrete that were under the, (laughs) under the flooring (laughs) and how it will be fine yeah it was quite the you were apocalypse ready (laughs) they were totally ready i felt so unprepared in life like after watching that i'm like if i spill this amount i'm just moving (laughs) (laughs) i'm walking out out handing the key to my building manager and just saying you know what it's just not working out anymore (laughs) had a good run i'm gonna start a new life in a new apartment (laughs) Yeah. yeah I've got like the stick with like a little like pillowcase with a couple pairs of yeah. pants in it. Like, <laughs> no, no underwear. Just left with the essentials. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. That's oh, that a funny, funny story. Well done, Chris. But um, now that we, we know needless it's you. to say, those were not cleaned on the patio. Those were brought to the, uh, I think the bathtub. For <laughs> yeah. For we rinse. realized afterwards that we have a bathtub. We can do this in. <laughs> yeah. Instead of the, the, house also after the bathtub. <laughs> Sorry, I said I was also asked to leave. No, I was. I was asking. Was Chris asked to uh, lift the bathtub? <laughs> no. no, we knew what he was capable of after that. Uh, yeah, all jokes aside, Chris, I think we set you up for we set you up for failure with that handle. I ex- inspected it after. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, these things they were already cracked. We because we have another one of those laundry baskets, and it's just hanging on by a thread as well. <laughs> and that one's only had like socks and and dirty underwear in it. How heavy? Four hundred pounds of water. (laughs) (laughs) Just wear and tear. Plastic. It disintegrates. Thank you, Fiona, for being our guest today and providing the beverages. I will say I've uh, gotten into this stout here, and yeah, this stout is it's nice, eh? pretty bloody fantastic. Mm, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm looking. I'm looking forward to my my morning beer tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) You can take it in the car with you if you like. Yeah, Luke, Luke, you know, even with a non-alcoholic beer, I feel like that's a weird hump to get over. Just like cracking it and like plugging in your firing off your morning podcast for the commute and just cracking a non-alcoholic stout. Like I, I, that's a mental yeah. barrier. I feel like you'd still have to get over. Well, I'm working from home tomorrow, so it doesn't have to happen on the SkyTrain or anything. <laughs> we might have to start a morning, morning happy hour, though, Luke. Little, little yeah. 8 a.m. Should we do it on Zoom? <laughs> If it's just like us, us two, like I, I feel like you know it might it might go okay. Not like thirty other people. <laughs> you can just ping pong back and forth with each other's vulnerable stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. All right, Fiona. Where can the people go to get the beverages that we talked about and wine and spirits and all that? Yeah, they can go to sansorium dot com. S a n s o r i u m dot com, and find us on Instagram at Sensorium and you will be able to follow along on when we launch new products or events, which are always really fun. Get on the events early because yeah, they, <laughs> they sell out quickly. Yeah. And I tend to dabble on Twitter and TikTok sometimes if you frequent those spaces. And that is it. All right. Thanks so much for, yeah. for the beers and like no crash problem. course in the industry. I feel like I learned, learned a lot today. Yeah. It was a great conversation. It's nice when we bring people on who, who know things. I mean, we need to redo that coffee episode. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine if we tried to do this episode just ourselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you lost me at what was the something tunnel centrifusion. Like if we started talking (laughs) about centrifusion here, we would have lost some people. Even the, even the Quinell listeners would have tuned out by then. How do they get the alcohol out? Oh, and they just go bippity boppity boo and it's gone. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It was really, really a pleasure talking to you. Cheers. Likewise.